Blog Talk Radio. Hello, Nats Town. Welcome to Nats Nightly, sponsored by the District Sports page on FederalBaseball.com. Coming to you after a marathon, 12-inning loss to the New York Mets, 2-1 to in the city field tonight on a Wilmer Flores walk-off day. We'll get right into it and go right to the end there. Felipe Rivero with two scoreless innings on about 24 pitches, I think. I didn't check back and see what it was, but... Uh, it must have been less than that even because he finished with 22 after three pitches, so two scoreless on 19. He comes back out for the 12th inning with the Mets. They have three right-handed batters lined up. They have four pitchers, three of them right-handers left in the bullpen. Matt Williams sticks with uh, uh, Flores there. Well, sticks with whatever. Rivero against Flores there. He gives up the home run on a 1-1 fastball out to left center. Wilmer Flores said afterwards he didn't think it was gone off the bat, but it sure looked like it. So the Nats lose with three right-handers in the bullpen. What do you think about Matt Williams' decision-making there? Would you you don't know when it's going to end, I guess, so you don't know how many pitchers you're going to have to use, but tough to lose with three right-handers in the pen when you bring a lefty against three right-handers. Well, I certainly hope that Casey Jansen, Drew Storn, and, and Jonathan Papelbon uh, get over what's killing them uh, quickly because uh, the Nets are, are eventually going to need to use these guys Eventually, the Nets will have a lead at some point that will the Matt Williams will be able to justify pitching them in a ball game because he certainly won't pitch them in a tied or losing game, uh, regardless of the situation. Um, this is beyond frustrating that um, that the Nets feel that they have to go out and acquire a second closer, a second right-handed uh, late-inning reliever, and then the manager fails to use them in an appropriate uh, appropriate time to do it. It's, it's it's beyond, beyond idiotic that he sent Rivero out there for a third inning to face three right-handed pitchers. The manager's job is to put players in a, into a position where they can succeed. And putting Rivero out there for a third inning against three right-handed batters was only dooming him for failure. I'm done. <laughs> So I guess he's gone three innings before, but like we said, three right-handers lined up there. What was a really nice outing by him that had the SNY announced team really impressed. 96, 97 mile an hour with the fastball the whole time. A really nice slider. He got that short arm delivery. Seemed to have everyone fooled for the most part when he was out there, but he goes back out for the last inning, and the Mets finally catch up to him. And not only the Mets, but Wilmer Flores, who was great story, at least for the Mets side, crying on the field the other night when he thought he'd been traded. The trade doesn't go through, ends up staying with the team, gets standing ovations every time he does something tonight, and ends up winning the game for them in the end. Dude, there's no crying in baseball. <laughs> I'd say, yeah, well, I guess it's, it's traditional. Uh, for, throughout the season, we've been uh, grousing about how Matty leaves the righties in to face the lefties, so now he finally left the le- uh, lefty in to face the righties. So I guess that's symmetry or something. Um, Rivero has, has been impressive in a lot of outings And he's gotten some righties out uh, Although certainly leaving him in To face three righties in a row Although not the most deadly righties In the in the, the Mets lineup such as it is uh, Is it, not tipping him wildly towards success Sure, he used to be a starter They all used to be starters but they're always going to be better against same-handed guys. Uh, and you've got a lot of righties in the bullpen, a lot of good righties in the bullpen, or at least decent ones. Um, 
yeah, you don't know how many innings you're going to go, but, I mean, come on. You always got Robinson out there. Uh, although I guess he'd already pinch hit at that point. Well, that's we'll, we'll call that more bad bullpen management on uh, on Maddie's part. There, it just ah, uh, what, what what can you do? It was a great outing, and and we all wanted to see him succeed in that third inning there, even though we knew it was a mistake. And I'd already written up my little bullet point for him about how he pitched two great innings, and then I had to go back and change it about how he lost the game. Thanks, Maddie. Thanks for making me the mixer. That is the worst part of all, isn't it, when you have to edit? Just I still say the most stressful inning of my life, maybe not my life, but this year at least writing about baseball was when Max Scherzer lost the perfect game with one out, and I had to go and erase every mention of perfection from my story for that. But Dave, frustrating uh, situation for me before that, earlier in the 11th inning, Bryce Harper takes a called strike three. I saw numerous replays. It was clearly not a strike. Bryce Harper knows it's not a strike. As I hash-browned it on Twitter, if Bryce Harper does not swing, it is not a strike. But it's called strike three by the home plate umpire, whose name I'll bring up just to ridicule him some. Jerry Meals. Jerry Meals. Boo. Boo Jerry Meals for sure. But Boo Harper also for getting himself tossed. He argues it, keeps on arguing it until he forces the umpire to toss him. It's an ex- going into ex- already in extra innings, I should say. The bench is depleted. Bryce Harper just can't get himself tossed there. Matt Williams said after the game that it's something they've talked about before, and now they're going to talk about it again because he can't keep doing this. He does keep doing it, however, and the one weak spot in Bryce Harper's really impressive game is that he loses his temper and flies off the handle quite often. There are only three incontrovertible rules of baseball. Okay, Number one, there's no crying in baseball. <laughs> number two, there's number two. There's no betting in baseball, and number three, you can't argue balls and strikes. Those are the only three incontrovertible rules of baseball. Now, Bryce Harper managed to not do one and two tonight, but he did number three, and he does number three all the time. Um, yes, that's not a strike, but you're in extra innings, and your manager has already burned through his entire bench, and you know these things. You cannot go out there and argue with an umpire, especially in a game that's being broadcast on national television, because you might forget the game is on national television, but the umpires don't, and especially Jerry Neal does not. It's it's just it's I, I realize I'm yelling again, and I want to apologize for yelling again, <laughs> but but Harper just has to grow up in these situations. He is maturing as a player so much; he has to mature as a person as well. He has to know that the last thing that happens there is him get thrown out of the game. He cannot let it happen, and he let it happen again. You cannot let the umpires dictate what's happening in the game on the field, and they did it again. He says he's got to get over this. I keep on telling myself he's 22, he's 22, he's 22, but he is so mature in so many other ways that he just can't keep doing this. It's no longer an excuse. It it, it can't be an excuse anymore. I mean, this is a game that could – down the line, decide the division. And he's not there and to play a part in it at the end. And they did it with Ryan Zimmerman in left field and Dan Ugla at first base. <laughs> Neither of them could have caught uh, that, that ball that went over the fence, I might add. And wh- while I agree that, that Harper was absolutely in the wrong there, and you've got to take – you've got to learn to just accept that the umpires are going to get it wrong – sometimes until we replace them with robots, robot umpires now. Robot um, robot um. 
<laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm looking at the pitcher effects plot uh, right in front of me right now, and there are three balls well outside, one slightly less outside than strike three, which was called a ball, and one just farther outside than strike three, which was also called a ball. And here's this spurious strike sitting out there between the two of them. It's uh, J- Jerry Meals really screwed that up and deserved to be yelled at by someone. Probably it should have been uh, Maddie just should have gone out there and kicked dirt on him or something. And I- I'm a little disappointed that he didn't. Well, having Matt Williams get kicked out of this game other than Harper would have been doing them a favor. Yeah, yeah. Harper has it. Harper, get your word in and then get out of there. If someone wants to argue, Matt Williams comes out, gets tossed for the team, and you still have Harper there. But fortunately, it didn't work that way. It didn't play a role in the end, really, but still don't like to see it from Bryce Harper. And it's the one thing I think he needs to clear up before he can claim lay a claim to being the MVP of this team and possibly of the NL so far. You just can't be doing that. Doug has one other thing we can't be doing. Might as well, while we're ranting, just bring up another thing here that I'm sort of angry about at this point. And we've seen it over and over again in the last couple of weeks. The Nationals pitchers are having a hard time bunting. Sixth inning, they're down one nothing at that point still before they rallied to tie it up. Jose Lobatone singles. Tanner Roark already in the game. Gets down two strikes. Take the bunt off, for God's sakes. These guys... I can, off the top of my head, there's three or four times in the last couple of weeks I could think of where they kept a bunt on with two strikes and they ended up fouling it off and striking out. There's absolutely nothing for you. And when you get to two strikes, do you just let them swing away at that point or do you force the pitcher to do his job and try to get the bunt down there? Well, you, you, you take away the double play opportunity or at least reduce it by a good amount by uh, by leaving the bunt on there. But... I don't know, a, a decent swinging pitcher like, like Roark or Scherzer, you know, I, I'm of a mind to try and let him hit the ball on, on a chance that, you know, maybe he'll he'll hit one behind the runner or he'll get one uh, over the infield to, to fly out and maybe allow an advance that way. Um, it, it's it's a little frustrating that, you know, th- this is – I was I was kind of feeling like a 2009 Nats fan. For, for periods during this game here. We were we were getting real cynical in the, the doghouse family basement. Uh, and seeing seeing the failure of a pitcher to get a bunt down was was certainly emblematic of all the times I watched Jason Bergman try to bunt and it was comically awful. Uh, yeah. Uh, I, I I'm sorry, I'm just I'm just getting myself down here with, with all these memories. But ne- next question. Next question. <laughs> Dave, where do you stand on that? Do you avoid the double play and just let him get an out if he's not going to get the bunt down, or do you keep it on there, take it off? Um, I always take the bunt off with two strikes. Um, and, and this will lead me into um, into a comment that I wanted to make anyway that it has escaped me to this point. I don't know if I'll get another chance to make it or not. But shoot, shoot I think tonight was. I think tonight was was Matt Williams. Um, least effective managing game all season. Um, to 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 continue to allow pitchers to bunt with two strikes, um, you know, burning through his bench with 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 with, with the pinch runners and 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 leaving himself without an outfielder, um, having to put Dan Ugly at first base, uh, leaving uh, you know, quite frankly, uh, leaving two different relievers in for too long. Um, he got away with the one and didn't get away with Rivero. I just think that, that tonight was his least effective game managing. 
dog hassling, just jumping around tonight because this is a long game, a lot going on. But another uh, big instance, I think, back-to-back one-out walks from Tyler Clifford in the eighth inning. They, they get Clifford out at that point, bring on Juris Familia against Michael Taylor. He's 12 for 32, a 375 average with runners in scoring position, earning himself the nickname Michael R.I.S.P. Taylor. 12 for 33, though, after he strikes out, chasing pitches out of the zone. I don't think he saw a single strike in that at bat. It was just over-eager, which we haven't seen from him before. He's usually been pretty calm in those situations and gotten a good pitch to hit. And Even last week against the Mets, we saw him come through in a situation like that, but really not a good at bat from Michael Taylor there. Jose Lobatone pops out in the next uh, – I think it was Lobatone, but whatever. I just skipped to a different inning by mistake. But anyway, Taylor strikes out there, doesn't advance either of the runners, and the Nationals end up not scoring there since it's the extra innings. Just not a great at-bat by Michael Taylor there where he's gotten done well in those situations before. No, that that was uh, a real frustrating game to watch as a fan because he, he had, as I remember, uh, fairly decent contact in his first A-B, and then he was just up there hacking and looking lost and got – the you know, on his way to his shiny sombrero. Um, that was just not a good outing from Taylor. And I, I don't know if he got, you know, if he had uh, had the, the, the hit taken away from him early and he's thinking to himself, okay, I'm going to get it back, I'm going get to get it back. And he was just up there hacking. And, and you're right, I was, uh, I was watching at the time. He was, every pitch he swung at was not a strike in that at bat. There were, were no strikes thrown to him in that at bat there, uh, there in the ninth, and that was it was woeful. Or I, I guess it was the eighth. Uh, it, it was. It, it, was, it was woeful. I I, I, kind of, I don't want to say I expected from Lobatone, but you know I I expect more out of Taylor, and he has seemed fairly even tempered, and you know a, a, a young player, and at times you know sort of a free swinger, but this is the first game recently where it seemed like he was feeling the pressure. It, it's almost like it was, he's a rookie with, a, with an under 300 <laughs> on base percentage. But he's come through in the clutch before. I thought clutch existed for a moment. Now I'm once again on the no-clutch bandwagon. It was the ninth inning. Clutch does not exist. I keep on flipping around here on my iPad. It was the ninth inning. One out walks to Zimmerman and Desmond. Nice at-bat there by Desmond. Not a nice at-bat by Michael Taylor. Dave, I guess uh, we've gone through 15 minutes here without talking about the performance on the mound by Matt Harvey. Gio Gonzalez will escape my wrath for tonight for his less than stellar outing, but Matt Harvey building on his last start against the Nationals in D.C. where he went 14 straight outs to end the outing, 26 straight outs tonight combined after four scoreless and hitless, 15 straight on 57 pitches, 16 straight before he finally gives up a single by Jose Lobatone. 90 pitches and seven scoreless innings. He gives up a run on basically a phantom uh, hit-by-pitch. The Mets reviewed it. Didn't look like it was a hit, uh, hit on Clint Robinson. It looked like it hit, they called it hit his foot, but really didn't seem to, to, to do so. Uh, Anthony Rendon singles in the next at-bat. Unel Escobar follows with another hit. Drives in the tying run there. That sent the game to extra innings eventually, but a really nice outing by uh, the dork knight here. <laughs> Comes back from Tommy John, just really putting together a great season and was fantastic tonight before that inning. Yeah, great young pitcher, great young Mets pitcher, blah, blah, blah. Um, you don't want to talk about <laughs> Gio Gonzalez, but I will since I've been playing the entire night. Look, Gio, throw strikes. Throw strikes. 
You don't deserve to stomp around the mound if you're not throwing strikes. You can't. You're a veteran pitcher to have thrown 105 pitches with two outs in the fifth inning. Throw more strikes. Uh, the real bad part there, which I'll note, 105 pitches, 59 of them strikes. He was basically close to 50-50 with Throw strikes and balls. Strikes. You can't go through a game like that, and he managed to limit the damage. But uh, before we sign off here, I guess the trade deadline went by today. We wouldn't notice it in that town because nothing happened after the Papelbon deal a few days back. But uh, Rizzo mentioned on uh, 106.7 The Fan the other day with Grant Paulson and Danny Ruier that it's just the non-waiver deadline doghouse. You can still make trades. Uh, waiver deadline's coming up, so you'll have to pass through waivers before you can do anything. But, oh, my God, Adam LaRoche is pitching on the mound, so everyone runs your MLB TV somewhere. <laughs> Adam Roach claims he never pitched, but he's in, a, he's in a game. But before we wrap up here, nothing doing today. I kind of wasn't expecting it. I joked that I was sitting on my hands all day at the news desk waiting for something to happen, but didn't really think it was going to happen. Do you think they might make a move down the road here to try to improve the bench, or do you think the Nationals are going with what they got? I'm just looking to see who this year's Kurt Suzuki is going to be. <laughs> uh, Dave, Dave, what do you think they're going to do going forward? And one other question, Washington Post writer Barry Sverluga today talked to Drew uh, Storen's agent, Brody Van Wagenen, that Drew and his agent talked to Mike Rizzo today. He wouldn't go into details, but he did say that they will continue to talk. I don't think Storen's going to be able to talk himself into a trade this year if that's what he's going for, but do you think Drew Storen's time in uh, the nation's capital might be up after the season, after the Nationals once again brought in another closer? Well, um, someone who, who is near and dear to you and, and me and even Doghouse as far as said on the Twitter today that uh, I wonder, he, he wondered, if um, if this meeting with, with, with Storm's agent took place before or after um, the four o'clock Eastern deadline to make trades, um, whether whether Rizzo was tied up trying to placate um, a disgruntled reliever as opposed to actually making the team better, which will lead me into um, you've been asking me since the middle of June what I thought the Nats should go out to get um, in order to help them at the trade deadline. And I've said that they, they've needed another at bat, preferably one that can play corner outfield and, and first base. Um, I, I stay there. I, I saw the Indians trade uh, Brandon Moss, and, and I thought that would have been a perfect acquisition for the Nationals, that type of player. Um, so I'm going to give them pop off the bench, a veteran bat off the bench, um, as, as opposed to um, the Nats collection of, of rookies um, and, and waiver wire fodder that they've got sitting on the bench at this point. So, um, I would still like to see them uh, acquire a, a veteran bench, bat off the bench, but uh, I, I have the feeling that Mike Rizzo has convinced himself that um, that Anthony Rendon and Jason Worth and Ryan Zimmerman and eventually Denard Spann will all perform at pre-injury levels for them and that they don't need um, a bench bat. I, I don't think that's true, but I think Rizzo has convinced himself of that. 54 and 47 on the year after tonight's loss, a two-game lead in the NL East after they drop one of their chief competitor in the division. Tomorrow night, they're going to have to deal with the new-look Mets. They added Juan Uribe, Kelly Johnson, Tyler Clifford to the back of the bullpen we saw tonight, and today, Yoan Espedes is going to make his debut in New York tomorrow night. Should be interesting to see this lineup. If they ever get Kadire and right back, this is really going to be an impressive lineup they're starting to put together there, so... I don't know if Wright's going to play again this season. I haven't heard any updates on him recently, so I don't know what his future holds. But 
adding Ioannis as Pettis to this outfield is an impressive move by the Mets, and they're going for it because they're not going to get anything for him. He's a free agent, no qualifying offer tied to him anymore with his contract that he got when he signed originally with Oakland. So they bulked up their offense. We'll see what happens tomorrow night in his debut. Nats versus Mets tomorrow night at 7.05 again. Nats Nightly, sponsored by the District Sports page and federalbaseball.com. Everyone go run and watch Adam LaRoche pitch. We'll talk to you guys tomorrow. Go Nats.